0: The first Bible reading is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, and can be found on page 1213 in our church Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. <laughs> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you.
2: How's that? Good morning. Any better? Yeah? Okay. Um, if you keep your Bibles open at uh, page one, two, one, three, we're going to be looking, we're continuing. We're in this series in James and uh, we're this week, if you're a hay fever sufferer, it's been a bad week for pollen. Um, so that's not my fault. Okay. But I'm also a little bit hoarse and that was because I shouted a lot at dragon boating yesterday and that is completely my fault. Okay. So half and half. But shall I just pray before we start? Dear God, thank you for uh, being here today with us as we meet. Lord, just thank you for your word, and thank you for what it has to show uh, to us. And I pray you just be with us now as we look at it together, and um, that you'll give us uh, ears to hear, and that it will change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, about 15 years ago now, um, season of time, I spent a summer in Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, I'm not very good at my French accent, so that's Ivory Coast, for, uh, if you didn't realise. I was there for just about, it was about four and a half weeks, um, and I was helping in an office sorting out computers, Okay, so that's why I was there. But while I was there, I met this man called Philip Saunders. Um, Philip also came from Northern Ireland, um, and he came to the Ivory Coast with his wife, Heather, and their young family, um, and he came in 1983, and he'd been working on a project And this project he was working on um, took him over 18 years to complete. Um, And that was 18 years of travelling up and down the Ivory Coast, of dealing with the politics, of dealing with the uncertainty and the instability of that country. For 18 years, he did this. And he finished it finally in January 2002. So you might be thinking, well, what was that project? What was that project that he devoted the vast majority of of his working life too. And that project was to bring this, God's word, God's word to the people, the Koya people, and to that language, so that they could read it, so they could read it in their own language, in a language that had never been written down for them before. So that was kind of step one of his project but then to bring it to them so they could look at it like we do every day and read it and listen to it and share it. And I think sometimes we lose the wonder of God's word or of the Bible because sometimes it's maybe hard to uh, make it accessible. It takes a bit of effort, but we forget how life-changing and how life-saving it is. And how is Philip, who I met, was prepared to spend 18 years of his life just to put God's word in the hands of that people in Cote d'Ivoire. And this morning, we're looking at what it means to listen to God's word, and what it means to act on what it says. But first, let's look a little bit of context. We're in James 1. We're towards the end of the chapter. And um, if you remember, James, James was in charge of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's probably and sat at his desk with a lot of letters coming in from the new churches with kind of problems and challenges and maybe Christians who weren't acting like they should be. And so James writes this letter and he he doesn't really hold back much. It's pretty hard hitting. It's pretty to the point. And the really nice thing about James is it's really practical in terms of what he says. And I have to say, looking at this passage, it really challenged me a lot. Uh, And so, this morning, you might be in for an uncomfortable ride as we go through. Let's get started. If we start by, if you look down with me at the verse before um, the passage that was read, verse 18. In verse 18, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly heights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. James sets up this passage we're looking at this morning, and in this verse he says that the path to God is through the word of truth, through the Bible, hand in hand, a bit more chaotic or wishy-washy or led astray, but we want to bring them both together, and so we have the grounding of the word that we can hold to, that rock, and we have the, the, it's there and it's there also in verse 25. So, to, to make it a little bit easier, okay, so sort of trying to organize it, I've got my colouring pencil out, okay, in the next slide. And yeah, you probably can't read that, but um, there's, there's kind of a bunch of sections in this passage, right? There's a little bit at the first, you're going to get an example, and then the point James makes about listening to the word. Then he moves on to acting in the word, and there's an example as he comes out of that. He summarizes it all together, there's two points, and then there are a little bit of application at the very end. So, that's where we're going, okay? I'm done now. Maybe I can sit down, um, but actually we've got a little bit more time, so we'll continue. All right. So um, listen to the word first. In nineteen to twenty, James talks. In this example, he talks a lot about listening. And can you see that? You know, we are to be quick to listen, we're to be slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Abraham Lincoln, and um, that famous American president. Um, his Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, he was once really angered by an army officer um, that he came in contact with, and, um, and he said uh, you know, to, to Lincoln about that, and Lincoln said, well, okay, we'll write him a letter. So Stanton did, and he wrote a strongly worded letter of his indignation, and then he showed it to Lincoln, and Lincoln said, well, what are you going to do with it now? I'm quite surprised, Stanton said, well, I'm going to send it, right? But Lincoln shook his head, and he said, you don't want to send that letter. You want to put it in the stove. That's what I do when I've ever written a letter when I'm angry. It's a good letter, and you had a really good time writing it, maybe. And maybe you feel better now, but burn it and write another letter. And I'm sure you've heard lots of times that we have two ears and one mouth, basic maths, I know, but that makes it twice as much capacity to listen than to talk. And for all of us, often, it can be the other way around. Because maybe we jump, I don't know if this has been you last week, we sometimes jump to indignation straight away without pausing. Maybe it's, I can't believe they, or that's ridiculous, or did you hear what they said? But these verses, this example James gives us is that we should slow down that we should be patient, we should listen. But then at the end, verse 21, at the end of this little bit, he gives the example about we should listen. But then he comes to the main point in verse 21, which he's building up to. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So accept the word. In other translations is receive the word. Or you could think of it as listen to the word. So that kind of listening to it. Humbly. I think that's really interesting. Humbly accept it. See the contrast to we often... Not an arrogance which says, I like that bit, I don't like that bit. But in a humility as we approach it. Planted in you. That's the bit where when, you, you know, when we make a commitment, the word is implanted into us. And then lastly... Um, which can save you in that verse. That's the power. That's, that's what we believe as Christians, that this word of God can save lives. That's why Philip Saunders spent nearly 20 years in the Ivory Coast translating the Bible. John Piper, a Christian um, pastor, in a talk in this passage, he, I think, illustrates it really well by describing the word of God a bit like oxygen. So when we're born you know that first cry, maybe from a baby, as it breathes in oxygen for the first time in a breath. And that's like the word of God being planted in us um, when we make a commitment. But then we don't say, right, I'm done now. That's my oxygen bit. Uh, I don't need it any longer. We breathe it in every day, every minute. We're we're breathing in deep as the oxygen fills us. It sustains us and it allows us to grow and to act and to live. You could decide, that's it, I'm done with oxygen, but that would be an, you know, obviously an end to, to life as you'd know it. But why would you? You wouldn't. And it's in the same sense in the Word of God, and it's planted in us, but we want to keep breathing in, keep reading it every day, continuously, so it can give us that energy to act and to make a difference. And if you're new to reading the Bible, then you know, give it a go, and it might be like you're looking for a place to start. And I'd recommend a gospel like Mark. You know, it's really a Jesus. nice place to start reading the Bible. But maybe you've just got out of the way of it. Um, then, then I'd really, I guess, encourage you to get back into reading the Bible. And sort to tackle. But it's worth trying to find a way that works for you. It might be kind of Bible reading notes that you can physically read and look at that help you with the passage. And there's lots of good resources it might now be an app that you can put in your phone because you're, you know, you commute or you're in the train or you can go places. There's some great ones like John Piper's Solid Joy or Word Live or Nicky Gumbel does a great Bible through the year. There's lots of good apps out there as well. But whatever it is, try and find some way of breathing in the Word of God on a regular basis. Okay, so that's first, listen to the Word. And then second, is act in the word, and James moves straight on to that point in verse 22. If you look down with me, he says, "Do not merely listen to the word; save yourselves. Do what it says." Well, there's nothing ambiguous about that, is there? There's no, get out or kind of subtlety. Uh, it's act on it. Do what it says. Example about a mirror. Uh, I should say that for me, a, it's a mirror. For you, it's probably a mirror. Okay, so. As I move through the next bit, you're sometimes wondering why I'm talking about the three kings. So we have a mirror in our house, all right? And as we come down the stairs, um, you know, when you're about to go out, it was just just on the wall just over there. And you'd walk down, you'd about to go out the door, and you'd turn, you'd look at the mirror as a quick check before you walked out the door. Very practical, very handy. Bridget, in one of her reorganisation, in, in, in a curious move, decided to move the mirror somewhere else, Okay? And so I find that repeatedly, I come down the stairs, I'm ready to go out, and I look at a blank wall and uh, and think, uh, many months later, where did the mirror go? Because the mirror is actually quite useful. I think a mirror is useful for for two things, right? And this is why James' metaphor, I think, is really good. Firstly, a mirror shows us what we are. It reflects what we are. But secondly, it should motivate us to action. So for me, I walk down the stairs... Um, I look in the mirror, it shows me what I am, I've got toothpaste on my beard, okay, and it should motivate me to action, walk back upstairs and wash it off. And maybe for you there's something, obviously a mirror does something different, Um, but but generally you see and then you act. And it should be like that for God's word as well. We want to listen to breathe in, but then we want to act on it, not just walk out the door as if we ignore what we saw. And many times I think that if you, you, know, you read a passage or you listen to a sermon or you, you hear something, you think, you know what, I want to do something about that. But then time and life moves on and we, we miss that opportunity and we miss that moment. As Kirsty said, it was the Queen's official birthday yesterday. Look, copy as well. Um, and it is great. It's a really inspiring read, actually, as you go through the different things that the Queen has said and the different aspects of her life but can I read just one quote this was in 2002 from the uh, what the Queen said in her Christmas address she said I know just how much I rely on my faith that the only way to live my life is to try and do what is right to take the long view to give of my best and all the day brings and to put my trust in God I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. So the queen, you know, she didn't choose to be queen, um, but she did choose the gospel. And then, looking at her life, she then chose to act, to show those things the Bible says, to show that service and that patience and that humility and all those things that we're told to be like. So James then in verse 26 wraps up these two points and he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. If we read God's word, God's perfect law, if we read it continually, it actually gives perspective in our days and our weeks. And it gives us a freedom to live and a freedom to act. And then as James says, but we want to be doing it as well. And God will bless us as we do. Okay, finally then, just as we come to the end of the passage, James gives us three striking applications um, in the verses at the end. Verse 26, first one. It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Okay, this is like our relationship with ourself. How is our self-control? And in particular, how is the control of our tongue, the tongue that the Bible describes as untamed? and So we know we have a challenge there. I don't know, but do your, do your tongues run riot? When you think about yourself and give a frank assessment, do you have maybe a misleading tongue or a boasting one or an unstoppable tongue or a critical tongue or a manipulating tongue? Because if we read God's word, if we listen to what it says, and we take heed this week, then what we'll do is we'll pause before we think. And we'll think, is this true? Is this helpful? That's the hardest one sometimes. Is this necessary? Is this something I want to say or I should say? So that's the first application. And the second one in verse 27 we read, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So this is like a relationship with others, and in particular, I guess, the vulnerable. The church down through the ages has, has been instrumental at looking after the vulnerable. And actually, lots of our kind of forefathers are around orphans and widows, from Bernardo to Wilberforce to many, many others, And are we going to follow suit in that great heritage? No. St Matthews is a home for good church. Home for good is a Christian charity. It's a relatively new charity, which is there to support and to try and get churches to take up this challenge of helping those children who need a home. And that means, if I just read what it means to be a home for good church, that we want to be actively supporting finding a home for every child that needs one. That our church is known as a safe place where looked after children are welcomed. And families that foster, adopt, or who provide care are well supported. That's a great opportunity for us to be known as that, to be known as a church. And that's just one vulnerable, I guess, group. There are many others that I'm sure you can think of. But let's make that a reality as we act. And then the third and final one, at the end of verse 27... So it says to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And then it says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is like our relationship with God. It's like holiness. It's how do we keep ourselves pure and not be polluted by the world. In our home group, we're doing a study called uh, Fruitfulness in the Frontline. Um, I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, And it talks about frontline as being the time we spend... Uh, most of our weeks so for you that might be as a grandparent, you might be on the carpet making Lego towers um, you might be a financial analyst and you spend your time working in Excel you might be a teacher and you spend your time explaining what our subordinate clause is but the great message we've been seeing is we're called in whatever our front line is we're called to be fruitful in that, that's a great opportunity for us To be right in the world, being salty and being distinctive. And it talks and study, it gives us different things. And some of those things are that in our front line we're bringing justice. Or we're bringing the best of ourselves and we're bringing good work. Or we're bringing compassion and love to the people we meet. Or we're bringing the gospel when the opportunity arrives. But James finishes in these three things by saying... If we listen, we then should act. And the application around the tongue, around those who are vulnerable, and around keeping ourselves distinctive. So just to summarize, James has shown us in this passage, he talks to us about the importance of God's Word. This is an amazing book that transforms lives. And then in doing that, he's, he's challenged us, I guess, to be listening to God's word in whatever way works for you every day or every week, continuously, and then to do something about it by putting it into action in whatever your front line is this week.